You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. If you are just pulling up to work, headed into the office and can't stay with us on Detroit Today, remember that you can always go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, subscribe and download Detroit Today, and you can listen to us whenever or wherever you get ready. I am coming to you today from New York, where I'm being hosted at the NPR studios here, but I am, of course, happy to be with you on the air in Detroit for our show. Uh, If Donald Trump and elder Republican leaders in Washington get their way, we could soon be living in a post-Obamacare world. The federal health care law is undoubtedly controversial on both sides of the aisle, but it has also extended coverage to millions of Americans in recent years. It has also added strong protections for patients, such as people who are struck with so-called pre-existing conditions. What happens to people who benefit from Obamacare in Michigan if these provisions of the law are rolled back? And what did the healthcare landscape look like in Michigan before the law was adopted? If they repeal Obamacare, would we just go back to the days and those old healthcare debates that we were having before? Or would we have to start over from scratch in another new world, one that comes just five or six years after the new world we entered under Obamacare? We're going to spend the rest of the show today talking about what Obamacare will look like in Michigan if the current law is passed. Uh, And of course, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from listeners today about what has changed in your life because of Obamacare. Are you fretting what uh, the House of Representatives did last week and what the Senate might do, what the president might sign? Or are you excited about this? Are you uh, one of the people who believes that Obamacare was itself a flawed reform caused problems that you want to see corrected. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. You can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work your comments into the conversation. Especially today, I want to hear from people who benefited from Obamacare, but also voted for Donald Trump, our president, who has said he wants to get rid of it, or have voted for the congressional representatives there in Michigan who voted for last week's repeal. Think of people like Mike Bishop, who represents a significant part of Oakland County, uh, Dave Trott, uh, other, other folks in our congressional delegation who who are all in favor of getting rid of Obamacare. Remember last week that uh, Representative Fred Upton originally said that this bill went too far in his eyes, and particularly with regard to folks with pre-existing conditions. He had a conversation with the president and then changed his mind. Do you think that Fred Upton made the right choice? Uh, are you somebody who benefited from this law, maybe through the Medicaid expansion? Maybe you're someone with a pre-existing condition that wasn't covered before Obamacare, but you still think that the new law, the new changes that Republicans are trying to make to health care in this country are the right thing. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number 
to join that conversation. Uh, and joining me to lead that conversation are Rick Pluta. He is the State Capitol Bureau Chief at the Michigan Public Radio Network, and Marianne Udall-Phillips. She is the director of the Center for Healthcare Research and Transformation. Rick and Marianne, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Thanks, Steve. Hey. Yes. Uh, Rick, I want to start with you and give us an idea of what the political landscape in Michigan would look like if we see what passed the House of Representatives last week go through intact or mostly intact through the Senate and to the president's desk. There are a lot of odd alignments that were that were uh, put into place to get Medicaid expansion, for instance, uh, passed in the state of Michigan. What would that look like for, for instance, for Governor Rick Snyder, who put a lot of his own political capital on the line to do that? What would he likely face if if this comes unraveled in the mm-hmm. next six months? Yeah, and, and, and indeed he did, that that he put a lot of his uh, own political capital uh, in, in play in order to uh, get this adopted, and he has a lot of ownership over it. So, um, you know, the governor's been pretty quiet on, on on this as you know he, he he tends to be he doesn't court loud controversial statements but he said that he is concerned about the future of the medicaid expansion um, the healthy michigan program um, the money that the state would be getting in block grants for the medicaid program um, wouldn't match the the money that michigan is getting right now so there would have to be uh, cutbacks in the rest of, uh, of medicaid as well and um you know we're we're seeing hospitals uh human services advocates uh coming out and saying that there would be big problems in in lots of areas the you know pre-existing conditions would be one of them um they think that the continuing coverage provision where instead of the individual mandate people would face a sanction that they they would have to pay higher premiums for a, a, a period of time when they got their insurance back if they uh, if they allowed it to lapse. Uh, they say that that's not inadequate. And there's a lot of concern about trying to stabilize the insurance marketplace, because what, what the AHCA is supposed to do is deal with the problem that premiums, even though they haven't been increasing as fast as they did prior to Obamacare, they are still increasing. It's and still a lot of people out. are finding that with copays and whatnot, that's unaffordable. One of the ways that they deal with that is they create these high-risk pools that take the people who are the sickest and put them in their own insurance pools, and and those can be very expensive in and of them themselves. And so hospitals are concerned about that, and that there will be going back to the days where more people are just coming into emergency rooms to get you know their their standard care. Yeah, uh, the the coalition that the governor and then Senate Majority Leader Randy Richardville, who also played a really big role in in pushing this through, the coalition that they put together to do that obviously doesn't exist in the same form as it did before because we have a lot of turnover in Michigan because of, of, of term limits. But talk about this sort of internal dissension in the Republican Party that that caused. Would it resurface, for instance, if you had uh, the, the legislation last week uh, signed by the president, passed by the Senate, signed by the president, and and we have this new reality. How hard do you imagine uh, Governor Snyder would fight and maybe push inside the Republican caucus uh, that controls both the House and the Senate in Michigan? I mean, would we see a new 
argument and debate unfold over how to preserve healthy Michigan, for instance? Uh, uh, well, of course we would, and we would have to figure out what that would look like. And no one expects that this is going to be the final version. This still has to go to the Senate, where there's yeah. a lot of chagrin over what the um, House Republicans um, muscled through. But if healthy Michigan, as it exists right now, were put in front of the legislature again, Governor Snyder had a tough time getting it adopted in the first place. The first he would time. have a much tougher yeah. time in this legislature trying to get something like that through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marianne Udall-Phillips, uh, we've had you on the show before to talk about the benefits, the changes that we've seen uh, in the healthcare industry, in, in, in uh, people's health in Michigan as a result of Obamacare. Uh, give, us a, give us a sort of thumbnail sketch of what kind of havoc what passed in the House of Representatives last week would wreak on the current situation that we have in Michigan. Right. So, of course, the, the best information we have right now is what the Congressional Budget Office estimated on about an earlier version of this law, because this particular bill uh, was passed without a new Congressional Budget Office analysis. So we don't exactly know what all the changes would be a right. result in, but we think it would actually cause more people to lose coverage than the earlier version. But the earlier version estimated that over 10 years, 24 million people nationally would lose coverage. And those would be predominantly people who buy their coverage in the individual market uh, or get covered through Medicaid. Medicaid in Michigan has become a really major way that people get their health insurance coverage. We have almost two and a half million people in our state that get health coverage through Medicaid today. Mm -hmm. And the reductions in the uh, American Health Care Act would significantly affect the Medicaid program, both by cutting people who currently have coverage that way and also by reducing the amount of money that the state gets to fund that coverage. So it would be, would be a really serious problem for the state. It would shift a lot of cost to the state. And it would cause a lot of people to lose coverage in the Medicaid market. And now with the changes that have been made to ACA, um, people who have pre-existing conditions could be at risk of not getting coverage or having very expensive coverage as well. So so what does that look like, for instance, for, for hospitals? When you talk to hospitals who before Obamacare were dealing with uh, huge, huge instances, huge uh, uh, uncompensated care costs right. every year. They talk uh, very frankly about how that has been the biggest change uh, under Obamacare, uh, that, that they're no longer having to do that. Uh, would this go, would this send us back to oh. the idea that people would just use emergency rooms, for instance, as uh, the, the places for primary care, which, of course, they are still doing in in too large a number, but they would be doing it again without insurance and that the hospitals would be back in the, the sort of precarious financial position that they were before. You know, I think that's that's absolutely true, at least in part. So we've seen a tremendous reduction in the percentage of the Michigan population who are uninsured under the Affordable Care Act. We now have about 6% of our population who are uninsured. Before the Affordable Care Act, we had more than 11% of our population who are uninsured, and we had very high rates of people uh, who were uncompensated and went to the hospital and, as you said, got care through the emergency department. Uh, the Affordable Care Act has improved the uh, bottom line for many hospitals, although hospital margins are still not terrific. They are much better than they were before the Affordable Care Act. 
And so if we were to see an increase in the number of people who are uninsured in our state, uh, we ha- would have much more un- uncompensated care in hospitals. We would see more ho- people using the emergency department for their care. But, you know, that's very poor care. That's way down the road. People don't get medical care that keeps them healthy in the emergency department. They, yeah. they get health care for a crisis, and that's that's it. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Rick Pluta. He is the State Capitol Bureau Chief for the Michigan Public Radio Network. Also with us is Marianne Udow Phillips. She's the director of the Center for Healthcare Research and Transformation. We are talking about the proposed legislation in Washington to undo many of the things that were accomplished under Obamacare. What would they look like nationally, but especially what would they look like here in Michigan? What would they look like for the people who gained coverage under Obamacare through Medicaid or because there was no longer a permissible disallowance of insurance for pre-existing conditions, would it wreak havoc in the state of Michigan or might it improve things uh, in a way that the, uh, the Affordable Care Act never did? We definitely want to hear from listeners about this issue. Are you thinking about what they passed last week in Washington? What effect it would have on your life? What effect it would have on the things that have changed in your life because of Obamacare? Give us a call and tell us what you're thinking about what Republicans are proposing in Washington. Are you in favor of it? Do you think it will help uh, maybe expand uh, coverage uh, for, 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 for people who can't get it? Or are you worried that it will reduce the, the the spread of that coverage. And especially, we want to hear from you if you're somebody who benefits from the law now, somebody who gained coverage maybe under Medicaid because of Obamacare, someone who was able to go out and buy insurance with a pre-existing condition that you couldn't do before Obamacare. Uh, I especially want to hear if you support uh, the politicians who are making these changes. Did you vote for Donald Trump uh, and you are on Medicaid uh, because of Obamacare? Did you vote for Mike Bishop, uh, a Republican congressman from here in southeast Michigan who is in support of these changes to the law uh, and you are someone who benefited from that law? I really want to hear what people are thinking about uh, with regard to what we're seeing at the policy level. 313 577 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Paul in Pontiac. Paul, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes. Um, Uh So in relation to this conversation, I currently have no health care. Prior to Obamacare, I had no health care. But when it came into existence, I did not appreciate the fact that first it was a requirement that you have it. But for me, it would have cost anywhere between two and eight thousand dollars just to be involved in the most basic plan that I could find. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the plan stands, or as as proposed changes stand now, it doesn't looked to me like it would improve things, anything at all for me. But wow. that being said, I don't support the changes that are being made because this program has seemed to benefit a lot of people. 
Yeah. Uh, Paul, you know, it's it's interesting that you, I mean, you're, I think, in a really interesting category in the sense that you weren't being helped before Obamacare. You don't feel like Obamacare uh, put you in a better position. And now you don't think that the new law will solve uh, your your problems. So you're, you don't have insurance. So you're taking the tax hit that, that accompanies Obamacare. Is that right, Paul? Yes. And, and that's cheaper for you than going to buy a plan. It's less than eight grand. Yeah. By yeah. a long shot. My yeah. my income is under twenty five thousand dollars a year in a single person household. And and so, you're not eligible then for the Medicaid expansion? Is that true? Nope. Yeah. No matter how you add it up, I'm not eligible for that. Right. Paul, thank you very much uh, for calling and, and sharing those details. I think, uh, again, I think there are a lot of people in positions like that. Um, Marianne Udall Phillips, uh, talk about these gaps that existed before Obamacare, existed in Obamacare, and, and as Paul predicts, probably will exist even if they pass this law in Washington. Right. So, you know, we knew that the Affordable Care Act did not eliminate uh, people who are uninsured entirely. Uh, and that is one of the challenges with, with this law. And many people would say that, in fact, the law didn't go far enough to provide enough support to people to buy health insurance coverage. So people like Paul, uh, who may not be eligible for the tax credits, the subsidies, or Medicaid, uh, do face, you know, high cost of health insurance the you know many people feel the affordable care act and certainly this approach to repealing it don't doesn't really address the underlying cost of healthcare which is why premiums are so high and so many of the suggestions that policy analysts made uh, before this current debate about repealing was to expand the tax credits expand the subsidies uh, provide a public option for people to get health coverage at more affordable rates uh, this particular bill actually goes in the other direction and reduces the support reduces that's available. Reduces the subsidies. Yes. Yeah. So it'll make so, it harder. So what's Could the I lever? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, uh, uh, for Marianne, is there any research? Because one of the issues with the cost is getting um, the younger, healthier people to yeah. buy and, and keep their, their health insurance. Is there any research on what it would take to persuade more young people to do exactly that? Yeah, that's, that's really a great question, Rick. And, you know, uh, this, you know, the proponents of this law would say that they tried to do that because they expanded the tax credits for young, healthy people. It came at the expense of older and sicker people. But their idea was if you... That's make, the high-risk pools. Well, yes. actually, the tax credits for the younger people uh, give them more under ACCA than it did under the Affordable Care Act. So uh, if you're younger, you get a $2,000 tax credit, regardless of your income or the cost of health insurance. And so the idea was that that might be able to enable them to buy health care uh, coverage uh, fully without you know having to spend additional money. Um, but the, the research shows that the issue with young people uh, is that they're very, uh, you know, they're not risk averse, right? So that they wait right. to the last minute to get coverage. They don't really see, uh, they see sort of the short-term cost, but not the long-term gain. Uh, one of the concerns, actually one of the new regulations that came out, it shortens the open enrollment period for people to get enrolled in the Affordable Care Act. And there's a lot of concern that that will actually cut out young people because young people wait to the last minute. 
Uh, so there are a lot more ways that you really need to reach young people. Uh, frankly, a lot of theorists think that one of the popular provisions of the Affordable Care Act, which was to enable young people to stay on their parents' policies until age 26, is part of what reduced the number of young people in the individual market because they're yeah. now part of a group plan as opposed to an individual market plan. So uh, it's, a, it's a challenge to reach young people. Providing more tax credits to them might do it, but we don't have research to show that that would work. Uh, you've really got to go out and aggressively get them in the in the plans. Yeah. Well, well, well and that was that the health insurance profession calls them the invincibles because that's, that's right. how they see them. <laughs> right. Exactly right. 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 Yeah. But I mean, that was the that was the idea behind the mandate. Obviously, yes, uh, it was was to to force them into the insurance market. But as Paul uh, points out in his call, the, the, the mandate was not strong enough right. uh, for for some people. Now, of course, Paul is taking an enormous risk, as you point out, that it is cheaper for him now not to have insurance. It would not necessarily be financially advantageous if something were to happen and he weren't and he weren't covered. And it's really hard, I think, to get people to think in that frame about these kinds of things. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly true. That's a, a huge challenge. Uh, to get the healthy people into the pool because, you know, that's that's why everyone's concerned about this particular change uh, because there's some actual perverse incentives here for healthy people not to enroll because if you're healthy uh, and you aren't enrolled for two months, you get a t- you get an extra charge on how much you have to pay for health insurance. Yeah. And so it actually might perversely work to keep healthy people out of the risk out of the out of the market yeah Yeah. okay we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to continue our conversation about what the gop's proposed health care overhaul might mean for people here in michigan stay with us and stay with us on the phones 313-577-1019 is the number tom in southfield you're up next on detroit today You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Rick Pluta. He is the State Capitol Bureau Chief of the Michigan Public Radio Network, and Marianne Udall-Phillips. She's the Director of the Center for Healthcare Research and Transformation. We are talking about the proposed changes to health care reform. Last week, the U.S. House of Representatives uh, passed a new version of a bill that would undo many of the changes that we saw unfold under Obamacare over the last few years. We're talking about what effect that would have here in Michigan, one of the states that embraced Obamacare by expanding its pool of eligible people for Medicaid. And of course, we also benefited from the changes that made it harder for insurance companies to deny coverage to people with pre-existing conditions. What would it look like in Michigan? What would it look like for people in this state if we took those things away? Uh, And especially we want to hear from people who support these changes but were benefiting from what uh, what came out of Obamacare. If you're somebody who is now covered by Medicaid, for instance, because of the expansion under Obamacare, but support President Trump, support the congressional representatives who voted to undo those protections under Obamacare, why do you feel that way? What do you think is the benefit of what Republicans are talking about? 
in Washington. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number mm-hmm. on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag us at Detroit Today and we'll work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Tom in Southfield. Tom, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Um, anyway, I see some interesting dynamics. I mean, on one hand, the Republicans want to limit access to health care and shift the cost of health care onto us as citizens. And then the Democrats say we have to fight and defend Obamacare, that this is the end-all and be-all. But what isn't being discussed is that millions and millions of people came out during the electoral campaign of last year and said that we need a single-payer national health care system. Sixty uh, percent of doctors think that that would be a good idea. Um, and about, uh, you know, 30 to 40 percent of uh, prop of the health care goes to profits of the insurance companies and hospital administrators and the drug companies. So sure. could you guys comment on this state of affairs and that we really need a major overhaul and we need national health care in America? So I'm listening Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tom, thank you very much for the call and the question. Uh, Marianne Yodal Phillips, I'll start with you. Uh, as Tom points out, there are lots of people inside uh, the healthcare industry who believe that single payer is the best way to assure coverage and control costs. Uh, is that is that a solution from a from a medical industry perspective? Um, Well, you know, I think it's absolutely true that we're actually seeing more public support for a single-payer system. I think the latest poll actually had it over 60%, which is a big increase from where we've seen it before. And we have a lot of data from other countries that have a single-payer system that tells us that their health care costs are lower in those countries and their population health is generally better than in the U.S., Um, But that doesn't mean it's necessarily politically feasible in this country um, because what is involved in creating a single-payer system is a pretty significant increase in taxes. And, uh, you know, so far in America, we've not shown that we have an appetite for increasing taxes, uh, even to fund health care. I think there are a lot of people in the healthcare system, hospitals, physicians, and others, who, who do think it's a better system. It's, it's absolutely true. It's a simpler system to operate in. You, you don't have questions about billing codes. You can, you know, if you go to Canada, their, their billing departments are tiny compared to what we have uh, in the U.S. Um, but they also do limit choices of care, and they limit the prices that are paid to hospitals and doctors. So, so there are trade-offs in that system. There are trade-offs in any system. And so far, we haven't seen a willingness to go down that path. Yeah. Uh, Rick Pluto, of course, the political context for that question is much trickier, given the predominance of Republicans in places like uh, the state of, of Michigan. Uh, at the same time, I always feel like that uh, there is this understanding that that is a solution. It seems that the, the pushback is that it's too close to uh, political systems that are sort of taboo. The, the, the dreaded mm-hmm. socialism word. Or socialized medicine, gets, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and remember, President Obama initially favored a single-payer system. It was just uh, 
it was just too heavy a lift. And so, you know, the, the roots of Obamacare actually come from the Heritage Foundation and a proposal that that conservative organization created as an alternative to, to, to Clinton care. Um, but is um, that was um, you know supposedly an alternative way to ensure uh, in, coverage. Uh, there are some conservatives who are grumbling. I, I don't know how real this is. That um, if um, Congress goes too far in terms of repeal and replace, that there might be a pendulum effect that leads to something more like a single payer system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, Marianne Udell Phillips, uh, talk about uh, how that that political context bumps up against this this sort of knowledge, this base of knowledge that people have. It, it's got to be frustrating to see that <laughs> that some solutions just don't get discussed because of politics. When, as a policy uh, person, you know they they have have real value and merit. Uh, yes, I mean, we certainly would prefer that we have a discussion that's based upon the research and the evidence that we have um, before us. And you know, it's kind of ironic because I think it was last week, uh, around the time that that this bill was making its way through the House, that even Donald Trump came out and said that he really liked the Australian system. Well, the the Australian system is a single payer system, and you know, so even you know, there does seem to be some acknowledgement that those systems do actually work pretty well. Um, but it has been taboo in this country. In fact, we had a prior um, individual who was uh, trying to become the head of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, uh, a guy named Don Berwick, and he could never get confirmed by Congress because he had printed, he had written an academic paper that said some favorable things about the British health system. So, you know, we we are uh, which Britons love. Yeah, which exactly, which sure. Britons would are fighting to maintain because they well, remember when great. the Olympics were in in London and part of the opening ceremonies was actually an homage to the um, to the to the British healthcare system. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you let's know. go back to the let's go back to the phones here. Uh, Chuck in Brighton, you're up next on Detroit Today. Good morning. Chuck? Yeah. How are you? I am good. Uh, the the uh, American Health Care Act is nothing more than a political ploy. It's not a, not a health care act. It'll throw a lot of Michigan citizens uh, off of health care. I have two under 26-year-olds. They're going to lose. Uh, it also does not address any of the issues that were brought forward by the... Uh... Oh, did we lose Chuck there? I think we lost Chuck. Uh uh, essentially, he's saying, uh, I'm looking at my notes here, that the repeal and replace is no plan at all. Uh, Rick Pluta, you talked about how the anticipation is that the Senate will see this very differently than the House did and that we won't see the bill just sail through in in its current form. Talk about some of the things that, that people are anticipating that they might tweak to make this a more acceptable piece of legislation. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure because there is something in the AHCA for just about everyone to hate, whether you're <laughs> a, a Republican or a Democrat. Um, certainly, I think we'll see that um, governors like um, John Kasich in Ohio and Rick Snyder here in Michigan will probably try to form a group to go and influence the Senate to do something that will make sure that, you know, for example, the, the, the Medicaid program is protected. I think that would be... Uh, Top on uh, uh, top on their list, and I'm not. You know, I, I have not done a whip count in in the Senate. I'm in Lansing, not Washington, but uh, I do get a sense that there's um, a, you know, a lot of support for you know making sure that states' Medicaid programs are uh, protected. And so the uh, block grant idea, I suspect, will be in for uh, some substantial changes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's quickly go to Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to Detroit today. Great program. Thank you. Uh, Heritage probably would not want to ballyhoo this, but the plan they proposed in the 90s actually has its roots in policy changes in Prussia in the 1880s. When Bismarck, in an effort to steal a march on the socialists, came out in favor of health insurance, governments uh, subsidized health insurance for the elderly, pregnant women, and the poor. And that's what we have in Germany today. And yeah. Both Romney Care and Obamacare and the system in Japan and several other countries, Switzerland, are based upon the German model. Yeah. Now, yeah. my criticism of Obamacare is that it didn't go as far as the Swiss, the Germans, the Japanese. Yeah, I think a lot of people... Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way, uh, Ed, that, that we just sort of fell short of, of what was possible under Obamacare. But the political climate, I think, changed pretty quickly and made it uh, darn near impossible uh, to go further and is now making Hasn't it Hasn't even Barack impossible. Obama acknowledged that? Yes, yeah. that's right. Uh, and now it seems like it's becoming uh, almost impossible to defend even uh, the steps that Obamacare took. And thank you uh, for that call. Uh, we're going to have to end the conversation there, but I want to thank our guests, Rick Pluta, State Capitol Bureau Chief of the Michigan Public Radio Network, and Marianne Udall Phillips, Director of the Center for Healthcare Research and Transformation. As always, thanks for being on Detroit today. Great to be, Great here, to be with you. Thanks. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber-Davis and Jake Neer. The program director is Joan Isabella. The technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And the associate producers are Aaron Allen, Addie Wallace, and Gus Navarro. Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. I want to thank all of the folks here at NPR Studios in New York for hosting me today. I'll be back in Detroit tomorrow. I especially want to thank the, the producer here, Sarah Fishman, who helped us out. Uh, this is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. I'll see you tomorrow.